It's good to see everybody here today. Um, I've been to this church for about 50 years now, maybe a little bit longer. And some of you have been here as long, and I've known you a long time. Whenever I was growing up, um, people used to change churches a lot. Um, if, um, if the carpet was the wrong color and they voted to put it in, 15 people would leave the church. So when I read this little story, it caused me to smile. There was a shipwrecked survivor on this island, and a naval ship come by and seen him. Seen him out there waving, big fire going, seeing three huts on the island. So they landed there and picked him up, says, how long you been here? He goes, five years. He says, are you alone? He says, yeah, I'm alone. He says, why is there three huts then? He says, well, the one hut I live in, and then the other hut is my church. That's where I go to church. And they go, well, what about the third hut? He said, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> so, <laughs> ah, sorry. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> At Ministerium, <laughs> At Ministerium uh, we have a, a Dr. Shirara from Grace. I think that's how you say his name. And one day he, I was speaking there, and he brought uh, something, uh, illustrations there that I thought were really hand, handy, really neat. Uh, how we use physical things as instruments uh, for um, the, area, the, the world we live in. And I thought, well, wow, you know, the illustrations are his, um, but, um, you know, the, the rest I applied to it. He had up there a microscope. He had it right up there, a little microscope. Remember when you're in science class and they give you the little microscope? Well, he had that up there. And then he had a stethoscope. And then he had a telescope. All three of those scopes were up there. The microscope has a magnifying lens that brings out precise detail. I remember um, we get in there and, uh, and, and the teacher would smear something on some glass. We put it on there, put a light on it. He says, now look through there. I said, there's nothing there. But I look through the microscope and I see all these wiggly things. Disgusting, really. Little germs and little things running around like that. So the microscope makes things larger and clearer. And that's what uh, they use that for. And then he, he, he brought up the tel- uh, stethoscope. You all know what a stethoscope is, right? It's easy, easy to say, stethoscope. That's where they put it on your chest and they listen to the beating of your heart or you know anything in the cavity that you have there. Once when I was watching Dr. Welby growing up, Dr. Welby, MD, anybody watch that? Hey, yeah, okay. It was really funny because I'm watching him, and he's all serious, and this little kid's there. He pulls up his shirt. He puts a stethoscope on his chest, and he's thinking real hard and listening real hard, and he's moving it around. And I'm looking at him. It was still around his neck. He didn't put it in his ears. I'm thinking, how did that get by those guys? (laughs) But the stethoscope is primarily to listen to our heart. And then the telescope. Y'all ever look through a telescope where you see the moon, you see the stars, you see that Hubble telescope they have up there and the readings they have on that? I think that's fantastic. Absolutely beautiful. You can see vast amounts of time and space, vast distances. You can see the big picture 
of the universe. And I thought, wow, we can use those things for the principles as, as you and I le- uh, live in our lives as believers. We can use those principles in our own lives. In Sunday school today, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, we used these principles, but they weren't identified as such. Um, they get to the heart of the issue there, and I, I really appreciate um, that. But our faith, we can use these principles through, uh, through the filtering, magnification, and sounding instruments in our own lives. Um, the, the verse that Mr. Joey read, that the eyes of our hearts may be opened, that we may know him better. That's a wonderful, wonderful verse. Joey, thank you for sharing that. And that's the whole idea of every single Sunday school teacher here. I know Dave and Robert and Pastor and anybody that teaches, that the eyes of your heart may be open so that you can know Jesus better. In Ephesians 1.17 is what he read. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, God doesn't want us to be ignorant of the things of God. He's revealed them to us, and He wants us to understand with wisdom those things. It says, so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches, richness of His glory. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to apply those three techniques in a spiritual manner. Let's, um, let's open in prayer, if you will. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for each soul in this room, Father. It's not an accident that each one of us are here. It's what you've designed and what you've called for. So I pray that you will open the heart of each individual here, whether we've been here for 50 years or or just a couple weeks, because we're going to we're going to search the scriptures, Father. Apply a stethoscope to our heart so that we understand them, Father. So I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will teach us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, I, I was looking through and I said, now what what verse what verses can I use that would we can apply these three techniques to understanding God in as few verses as as we could? And I came to Ephesians chapter one, uh, verse three to fourteen. So for in fourteen verses only. And if you want to follow there, I would encourage you to do that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 uh, to 14. It teaches us mountaintop experiences is what the Bible calls it. Um, Whenever you're reading Ephesians, and particularly the first chapter of Ephesians, it's like climbing uh, Mount Everest. Because of the high points, the things that cannot be understood easily, the things that cannot be climbed up uh, the Word of God easily. Now, Mount Everest, there's been people 
that have reached the top. There's been a lot of people that have fallen instead of reaching the top. Um, and some of these verses, a lot of people have fallen on them also because it's in man's nature to try to understand God's mind on an equal basis with him, which is impossible. But it starts out this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, as his son, sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Each time we, leave, we, we read scripture, I want you to think, first of all, applying the microscope to it. Do not read the scripture in a shallow manner. Because you can make it mean anything that you want it to mean. And a shallow reading uh, lends itself to an immature Christian or somebody that's not a believer at all to mean something else that it does not mean. God did not mean it and to mean that, and, and you're not to either. So we are, first of all, to use a microscope on it. This pre- precise lens that we use on this verse here... Uh, teaches us that he used a a, a key word here, predestined. He called you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. A shallow reading of that may may think, well, that's okay. You know, Jesus knew my name. Okay, that's good. I feel important. When we're out and around teaching the gospel, uh, in the parks and the bridges. And, and I quote this verse from them uh, to the folks. And, and they say, wow, that's exciting. And, and it does mean that, that God knew you before the creation of the world. But um, it means far more than that. And since we're applying the microscope on it, uh, we'll go there. It says in First Peter 1.20, it says, above, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture is came about by private interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but through the prophets, through human, though, okay, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were, we're in the Good News Club, Tom and I, Mr. Tom, you here, buddy? Yeah. There he is out there. He, <laughs> we do little skits with the kids, and that would bore them silly. But then what I did is I put a beard on Mr. Tom and set him in a chair. And I put a sign around him that says, Prophet. And then um, I put a sign around me that says, God. The kids get a kick out of that because he's always, he's always the center and I'm always God. <laughs> and I would teach, I'd be whispering to him, Scripture. And he would be writing it down backwards. I mean, I noticed that kind of distracting, Tom, but he wrote it like in Hebrew or something. And I would tell him, I would tell him the verses <coughs> and he would write it down. And the kids were looking and they got closer and closer. And then they was looking to what he was writing. 
but they remembered it. No prophecy of Scripture is a private interpretation. So you can't make it mean what you want it to mean. It means what God says it means. In 2 Timothy 3.16, I think it was Robert that that, that touched this uh, when he was up here. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, training, and righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you get into the Greek on that, that God-breathed is the same word used for when God breathed in Adam's nostrils and brought him to life. So, there is life. Do not take the Scriptures lightly. There is life in these Scriptures. And we're to read it under a microscope first to make sure that we're reading it like like He wanted us to. And it takes a, a free will determination to do that. A little discipline. If you want to know God, you will use that discipline to study the Word. If it's just a shallow thing that I'm just going to go through the motions, then, then I can't help you there. The Word of God is perfect. It's complete. can have no improvements. It's entirely without flaws. It's exact. It's accurate. It's correct in every way. You say, well, Ron, I've heard that many, many times before. I believe most of it is. No. Whenever you're on the fence and say, well, I think some scripture is right, God breathed, some is not. You're not interpreting like God wants you to. You you will live your life in a nominal manner. You won't read the word and obey it because you think, well, you know, it's it's wrong. Thomas Jefferson thought all the miracles were wrong. So he, the arrogance that he had is he took them out. And made his own Bible. No. It's perfect the way it is. It has life. Whenever you read it in the morning or at night, that you can tell that has life. And there's many of you that are nodding that knows that it, it's, it's like that. It's infallible. Absolutely trustworthy. It's inerrant. Totally free from error. Um, so whenever we use our microscope, to study God's Word, we need to do exactly what it says. So, first of all, it passes through the microscope. Through the Word of God, not through your mama, your daddy, your pastor, your priest, not through anybody else, but through the Word of God, you are saved, you are taught, you are guided, you are counseled. You are restored. You're warned. You're protected. Or you're judged. And there's nobody that can get between you and God to make it right, make it any different than the Word of God says. There's some passages in in the Word of God that are terrifying. From God's Word, then we go to the stethoscope. Unlike Dr. Welby, we'll put it in our ears and we'll listen to our heart. Once it passes through our mind, then we use God's Word in our heart. It's a spiritual 
stethoscope to monitor our own hearts. Nobody can be effective in ministry. And, and unfortunately, we see a lot of people that try until their heart is right. They can be doing things they're not supposed to do and think that they will fool you. And some of they can fool us for a while. But with the Holy Spirit teaching us, you cannot be fooled. We know exactly when a pastor or a teacher or, or an elder or the person sitting next to you is right with God. We just know through the Spirit of God. Whenever we're out there teaching, we can say the same thing that somebody else to a person, to women from South America. They did. They said they didn't speak English very much. And I forget their name. That, that and I were there. He's the interpreter. They said, poquito, no speak English. Okay. So we went through Mr. Vet. And we, we taught him the plan of salvation. Didn't affect him at all. Because they had attended a Catholic church their whole life, and they've all heard that before. Going to church, praying. They even knew Jesus, right? They knew the name. I said, that, quote John 3, 3 to them. And Mr. Vet did in Spanish. And everything went dead silent. I looked at Vet, and I go, what happened? My friend said, they've never heard that before. Jesus says, you must be born again. Once we explained what that was, I said, ask them that if they would like to receive Christ right now. Remember, they told me they couldn't speak English. They go, I do, I do. (laughs) They both answered before he interpreted. (laughs) I go, you guys are fooling me. And they embraced Christ right there. Because they know God, God's power, our hearts are right with the Lord on this ministry. It really is. We weep. We work. We love them. And they know it. It's a hard crowd. We work with drug addicts, prostitutes, actively there. People blow horns in our face. But then there's a remnant that listen. You ever see these gold panners? They take a lot of rocks and put in there a lot of dirt and they pan it in the river. The rocks go aside. All the rocks are gone after a while. And you see a glimmer of light in there, the gold nuggets. That's what we do. That's what we do. God washes the rocks away. Every once in a while, he gives us a gold nugget. Someone gets into the kingdom and is saved. So we must, before we go out, and I'm just proud of this team because every one of them say, cleanse my heart, Father, that there'll not be anything between you and I when we go out. I I just love that. Now, we say our hearts in the Western culture is the center of our thinking and reasoning. So when I speak of hearts, I am speaking of your minds also. But also, it's it's a spiritual center of who we truly are. 
You see, the bodies that you have and the body that I have is going to die. It wasn't meant to. God created it to live forever, but because of the sin in the garden. He says, you will surely die, and it's happened ever since. It's a tragic thing to watch somebody die. But your body will die, but the part that's hearing me now, the very center of your soul, that part of you will live forever. It will live forever. cannot be destroyed, nor will it. As we're alive here, this church thing that we participate in, the world participates in, it's to satisfy that divine part of us that is our soul. Unfortunately, most of the world is going to lose that soul in hell. Terrifying thought. Because their hearts reject the truth. We teach everybody the same thing under the bridge, but the rocks go away by themselves. Once we opened the Bible with Jose, and another guy was sitting right there. I opened it up. I started teaching the Word. He got up and ran. He ran away. Free will. Free will choice. But if we use our heart as our moral compass, we're in bad shape. Because the Bible teaches us about our heart. You ever use a compass? It points north. You want to go east? You go this way. Just keep it pointing north. But you get a bad compass and it changes on you. It's like your GPS. <laughs> I follow the GPS and where, where am I going? This girl's telling me wrong. I want another GPS girl. Because I end up in the wrong place. And so, you, that's what your heart is. It's a GPS girl that's lost. And she's afraid to tell you. <laughs> in Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately evil. Who can know it? Deceitful is what they call it. It's dishonest, untrustworthy, sneaking, and scheming. That's what my heart is and your heart, too. So, don't get all uppity on me because our hearts are all the same. I enjoy telling Mr. Robert, he used to be a dirty, rotten heathen because he's an upright believer now. But I like to post, poke him. I like that on vet, too. He used to be a dirty, right in front of people. <laughs> said, he used to be a dirty, rotten heathen. And they look at me and they look at him. Because <laughs> he looks all tough with those glasses out there. <laughs> but that's the way we are. Our hearts don't tell us the right things. The compass is spinning. The compass changes according to things around us. And in our society, this compass is changing very quickly. The Bible says in the last days, what is right will be called wrong and what is wrong will be called right. And that's exactly what's happening now. Wicked, evil, or morally wrong. Nasty, harsh, or foul. That's what God says our hearts are like. This part of you, the divine part of you, that's supposed to get you back to God, cannot be trusted. So we always check our hearts. In Hebrews it says, Hebrews 10.20, Let us draw near to God, 
with a sincere heart, a true heart, and with full assurance that brings that that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse it from a guilty conscience. So our hearts by themselves cannot be trusted. But whenever you're a born-again believer, when you've given your soul to the Lord and He's indwelt your heart, you can trust it. You, because it's been sprinkled. But you have to watch it. Because we remember how we used to be. Proverbs says, He who conceals his sin does not proffer, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. But he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. We hear a lot of people. We watch them. We see them. When we teach them the gospel, their hearts get hardened. You can see it coming right down like that. Then we change and teach them judgment. And then we say, well, you have a good day. And they're just looking. Say, may the Lord bless you, but you have a good day. And we leave them. Because we cannot change hearts. We can only teach the Word of God. Then you get into the spiritual telescope. Okay, now, the microscope, we know what the Word says. We've applied it to our hearts. So our hearts are sincere now. And then quite often we stop there. We sometimes get so bogged down in life and the, uh, the, in, the, in, the, in the trees that we can't see the, for, the forest for the trees. And, and sometimes that's not right because you need to be encouraged. Whenever we step back and watch with the telescopic view of God's plan, it encourages those believers. It's a sweet smell, the sweet savor. But it kind of discourages those that choose not to follow Christ. Because we teach both ways when we're out there. Whatever's necessary is what we teach. Um, but the overview of God's plan is rescue and joy. In 1 Peter 1, 6, 9, it says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the, that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So when you're having a hard day, whenever things are going wrong, whenever there's strife in the family, strife in your own life, job pressures, money pressures, it doesn't matter. Start believing the Scripture. This is something we have to go through. But if you are a born-again believer, if you have been born again, you are God's. And every once in a while, it's nice to see the end picture. The end picture is one day Ron will be with the Lord. My salvation is assured. Not because I feel it, because most of the time I don't. 
but because God's word says it's true. Okay, we were studying this in Sunday school. We ignore our hearts when we're too hard on ourselves. So the big picture, he wants us to understand that his master plan revolves around you and I. A glorious reunion with our Creator. He is regathering a willing family. Paul, nobody's been to heaven except, I think Paul probably when he was stoned a couple of times, not well, when they hit him with rocks and stuff, he was there. And he says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. So understand the great joy that is facing us just around the corner when we close our eyes for the last time and we open them. I truly believe the Savior will come himself. First Corinthians 12, 2 says, I know a man in Christ. He spoke to him of himself in the third person who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up in the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. So Paul glimpsed heaven. I believe that's true. And he, and he could not describe it. He says he wasn't supposed to. So whenever we're having bad times, I want you to start thinking about your inheritance, your inheritance in Christ. In Ephesians 1, 3, and 5, going to the next, let's see here. Oh, in, in the verses that we just read, where it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his good will. Microscope, that teaches very clearly, God chooses. Quite often, I run into people and say, well, yeah, you know, I know he said that. But God is looking forward to my life. And he knows that I'm going to come to know the Lord later on. So, I'm helping God. It's not what the microscope shows. Whenever you get into the Greek words, God chose outside of anything else. Anything that you may do or not do, he chose independently for himself. To the believer, that should encourage us. To those that say, well, that's not fair. God didn't choose me. I said, my, my friend, this is your lucky day. This is the best day of your life. I would like to lead you to the Lord right now. Would you like to have Jesus Christ in your heart? He goes, oh, no, 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 I don't. I said, you just condemned yourself. I did, yeah. Your free will choice will be honored. So you can't blame God 
for you or me not coming to the Lord. Job tried. And what did God say to Job? Job was doing pretty good until the end. And then then he started getting mad because he didn't deserve what he was going through. And God finally said to him, Job, after he listened to him for a long time, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? And that stopped Job in his tracks. Because God is sovereign. He created. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be animals. Let there be the creation. Let's separate the day and the night. The big lights and the small lights. Let's create man in our own image. He says all that was good. When he got to man, he says that is very good. There's an Armenian Calvinistic dynamic tension (coughs) that people like to argue about. I don't like to argue about it. Armenians think you're, and it's not a race, it's a person. He says that your, your, your free will is sovereign. You can choose or not choose God. Calvinism, which I'm a Calvinist. I, I don't like labels, but that's, that's, a, that, that's a thought process that I agree more with. It says that God chooses independently. God is sovereign. It's for our good and, our, and His glory. So this should comfort you that have embraced Christ. If God thought you were important enough and chose you, you're safe. Elected, chosen, predestined. The Greek words used under the microscope and harmonized indicate God's totally independent choice. Sorry about if you don't think that that's true. Or if you think more highly of yourself that you helped to God. You did not. Not only choose us by himself, but to himself. His primary reason for our good and his glory. The Bible says, no one, Jesus himself says this, nobody can come to me unless the Father first draws him. And that's described as an irresistible draw. Don't refuse it. I refused it for years. I knew I was drawn to this, this man who says he's the son of the living God, but I didn't believe him. I thought all you church people were strange. Just wanted my money and stuff. I've told this many times. So the irresistible draw kept me here. If you're here today, there's an irresistible draw in your life right now. If you haven't embraced Christ, you might give it some thought. If you have, you're totally safe. You're doing what the Lord wants you to do. Spiritual stethoscope as far as God's sovereignty. Um, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus said just before they killed him, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I'd made known to you. Then he said something very clear. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. My final command is to love one another. 
So Jesus died for you. He asks you to embrace Him. Not religion. Under the bridge, people say, what religion are you? <laughs> that night, say, we don't have a religion. We follow this man, Yeshua. Yeshua? Who's that? They thought he was a cult or something. That's his Hebrew name. Jesus' his Hebrew name. Understand, we do not follow... We're not saved because of the Grace Brethren Church, the Catholic Church, the Baptist, any organized religion. We're not saved because of that. You and I are, re-saved, are, are saved or not saved for one reason. Who you feel Jesus is. The Bible says He is the Son of the living God. He is God. He came to die for your sins. He paid for your sins. And God has the legal right to declare you not guilty. No other reason. When I ask people, why do you think you're saved? What do you say to God when you see Him? Well, you know, I, I, do, I did good. I, I, I know this Jesus guy. I pray. Uh, I do light candles. I do... I go out with a tie on a mission and ride a bicycle. I, um, <laughs> I don't know what to say about Islam. Because what they do is not nice. But they, you know, any other reason is counterfeit. Jesus only. I think one of your songs, Joey, was that. And I appreciated that so much. Telescopic big picture. Whenever we think of Jesus, we've studied His Word. We know what it says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, when you embrace me, you've crossed over from death to life. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, God was in the garden. He created not only the world, but He created the family there. And for some reason, this holy God who always was and always will be had a desire to love us, to love somebody. So he created a family. They call them Adam and Eve. Okay, we'll go with that. I don't know their names. We'll go with Adam and Eve. And, and the Bible says that they walked with him in the cool of the afternoon. Adam and Eve, they, were, they enjoyed each other. They spoke to each other. I'm sure God had a smile on his face when Adam was naming the animals and the things. You see, God wants a family. I would say need, except God is completely full already, and He's perfect. But He desires a family. His family sinned. He had to, he had to prefer judgment on them. He says, you will surely die. Now leave, leave your home. In Eden. They ran from God when He came out looking for Him after they disobeyed Him. 
They ran from him. We've been running every since for 7,000 years. God's whole idea in the panorama of history from the Garden of Eden to the very last day of the thousand years millennial period. One reason, one purpose. To regather a willing family. He created the first family, created them perfect. This family now he's creating is he's not he doesn't point at you and say you're super Christian, you're you're my son. No. He's regathering a willing family. That's why your heart is so important to God. You get to choose. Whatever you choose in this life gives life to that. If you, a lot of people in the park choose drugs and it gives life to drugs. It destroys their life. We have a creative process whenever we believe. God has made us like that. So when we embrace Christ as your Savior and Lord, we believe with our heart. God raised Him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. So I give this to you today. Maybe you've never heard the complete gospel. But that's it. The telescope gives us the complete gospel. Jesus is real. He lived. He loves us. He chose to die for us. I appreciate it, Sebastian, your verse. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he said at the right hand of God, the joy that he's speaking of before him was your willing choice to embrace Christ as your Savior and Lord. Free will choice. I can't help you. I can't make you. I I would if I could. And I know most of everybody in here is a a born-again believer. Mr. Joy, (laughs) I love you, brother. I'm glad you're back. Could you play just as I am? The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Perhaps you've never done that. I know people in this very room are not saved. I know that. Perhaps you've played church. I don't know. Maybe you were like me, confused. I forgot to tell you, I'm not leading the singing. Can you sing too? (laughs) No. Maggie. (laughs) You, You guys love this, don't you? Come on up. I forgot to tell you that part. Do you know the song? (laughs) You do. (laughs) Perhaps you're like me. By your free will. Understand that your free will is working now. If you would like to embrace Christ, come forward. If not, stay where you're at or, or just go someplace else. You will hear the gospel here. But we've given our lives to go out to teach people this glorious, glorious gospel. And if you're, if you don't understand it, we can take you back there and teach you more about it. 
Go ahead, Maggie. Remember, you come forward and we'll pray with you. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for giving us this day. Thank you for giving us your word, Father, that we can look under a microscope, that we can look through our heart with a stethoscope, listen to our heart, and see the big picture of the telescope, Father. As we study your word and as we learn about you, let us apply those three techniques, Father. I pray that you will bless each soul in here, Father. They're precious in your sight. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.